This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. There's a song lyric that just keeps repeating in my head. These beautiful spring days. Alan Menken wrote Colors of the Wind with Stephen Schwartz for Walt Disney's Pocahontas film. And the part of the song goes, you think you own whatever land you land on. The earth is just a dead thing you can claim. But I know every rock and tree and creature has a life, has a spirit, has a name. So as we celebrate Mother's Day, and we send happiness to all moms of all kinds, and I think too on Mother's Day about our Mother Earth, this one big beautiful garden that we all share together. So I'm going to invite you to think about, as we celebrate Mother's Day, how we can best serve Mother Earth and how we can best help Mother Earth care for her creatures. So my friend Alexa is a New York State wildlife rehabilitator. And she says to me the other day, let's go take a walk. We live near so many beautiful walking trails. So I met Alexa for a walk and she says, hey, my friend Susie is going to join us. Well, her friend Susie turned out to be a pretty legendary bird rehabilitator. She is Susie Gilbert, who wrote the children's book Hawk Hill. She also wrote a beautiful lyrical memoir called Fly Away. That is really something special. And most recently, she wrote like a buddy book, A Wildlife Rehabilitator Goes on a Caper, and that's called Unflappable. If you love animals and birds especially, you're going to want to read all of those books. But I wish you could have seen us. I wish we had a camera following us from high above as Alexa and Susie and I walked this nature trail because... (laughs) The walk took far longer than it should have because we kept bending over to pick stuff up or look up at a tree or a bush or a bird or a chipmunk. What is this? Look at that. Oh my goodness, do you see this? We were like three little investigators just appreciating and being surrounded by this beautiful natural environment. And oddly, on this nature hike, on a fairly crowded trail. A fox joined us for a spell. Right there, in the broad daylight. I hung back and let the two rehabilitators take the lead to scoot him back into the brush. But having just read Susie's novel, Unflappable, we have to start here, my new friend. I realize you are not under oath, but have you ever in your professional life smuggled a bald eagle across country lines? (laughs) I can tell you with all honesty, I have not. (laughs) But you led me to believe that perhaps you did in your latest novel, Unflappable. Tell everybody about the book. It's about two people who try to smuggle an adult bald eagle from a private zoo in Florida to an eagle sanctuary in Canada. And everybody is after them because this is completely illegal. The police, conservation officers, the woman's husband, his, his bodyguard, (laughs) So they have this eagle and they want to get him to a better place. They make the journey via an underground railroad of wildlife rehabbers. And each wildlife rehabber 
takes care of a different species. So you get a, a window into all these different kinds of animals and how people take care of them when they're injured or they're orphaned. And you get to know some of these like strange and quirky people who do this. It's a thriller and it's a road trip, but it's also funny and romantic and it teaches you a lot about wildlife. Uh, how did you become a wildlife rehabilitator? I moved from New York City to the Hudson Valley in 1990. And near Rhinebeck in Stanfordville, there used to be a center for birds of prey, the Hudson Valley Raptor Center. And I went up there one time just to just to check it out. And I saw a huge flight cage with red-tailed hawks in it. And that just, I fell in love. New York <laughs> and that was City it. girl fell in love with the big birds? Yes, yes, she did. <laughs> And tell me of that moment, did it like speak to your soul or, or what happened? What? How did it change you? Yes, it spoke to me. I have always been into animals and I've rescued animals even when I was a kid. These were domestics, you know, people's pets they didn't want or animals that were really badly behaved and people wanted to give them the boot. I would rescue them and I would bring them home. And so I did have this sort of rescue Jones. When I went to the Raptor Center and I, I mean, I had seen birds far away. I mean, I, I had never, that was the one species I was never really into was birds. I didn't have any contact with them. And I saw these big red-tailed hawks and I don't, it was just, it was just infatuation from the start. That bolt from the blue. And how long between that moment and the moment you maybe took your first bird home to fix it? Well, I started volunteering at the Raptor Center. I signed up on the spot. <laughs> so I went up once a week, sometimes twice a week, because I was working as well. I started working there and learning the whole thing. If you want to be a wildlife rehabber, you need to be an apprentice and learn the ins and outs of taking care of them, handling them working with veterinarians, because most rehabilitators are not veterinarians. You know, we provide the place for them to heal and the emergency services. We can stabilize them and then get them to a vet if they need it. Now, do you need licensing for this? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, you need, you need lots of licenses. Birds more than mammals. If you want to do mammals, you can get a New York State license. If you want to do migratory birds, then you have to get a federal license, which is, you know, five times the amount of prep. But it is very doable. My neighbor, Alexa, was always interested in wildlife. And, you know, she, we started talking about rehab and she studied up and, and apprenticed with someone and got her license. Wow. All right. Yeah. So there's a federal license if you want to help injured birds? Yes. Federal for migratory birds. There are invasive species like starlings, like house sparrows, and they don't fall under the federal license. So you can have just a New York state license and do them. But, you know, the bigger birds and the endangered species, of course, they want to make sure you're very prepared if you get one of them in. You know, I guess I didn't realize this. I just thought there were people that you could call in the middle of the night when you found that possum or whatever, and they made things better. <laughs> but I didn't know exactly how. So this is something you need to be licensed for. Okay, so here you were, a young mom in the suburbs, and... And you're bitten by the bird bug in the best possible way. Now, what does your life look like? Now it has gone through 
quite a few different incarnations. When I had my kids, I lived uh, actually way out in the woods, and they were seven and eight when I left the Raptor Center, and I opened my own place at home. I was originally going to take in just birds that needed a flight cage who were ready to go and just needed to regain their wings. But, you know, there's not enough rehabbers, and people found out that my doors were open, and it was like a bird avalanche. I was trying to raise two kids and deal with all these birds that kept coming in, and I ended up building a clinic. I built flight cages. It was a crazy time. My kids were really into it. And then I wrote a book about it called Fly Away. Right. Fly Away is the memoir based on all of the stories you must have from raising yeah. two kids and and having a clinic for birds in your home. It really is amazing. It was quite a roller coaster ride. Right. And then I would get calls. You know, I only did birds, but people would call me up and say, I've got this coyote here. I have to bring him to you. <laughs> so. And that happened? Yep. People brought you coyotes? People almost brought me a coyote one time, but then they couldn't catch him. I was spared that. But, you know, you get the calls. I have gotten calls 11 o'clock at night. Uh, I think there's an injured eagle on top of Bear Mountain, and um, can you go get him? And it's <laughs> 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this will have to wait till dawn, but thank you for calling. Yeah, I really appreciate it. We're talking to Susie Gilbert, author of Fly Away, the memoir, How a Wild Bird Rehabilitator Sought Adventure and Found Her Wings, and also the novel Unflappable, and there's a children's book, too, called Hawk Hill. So we're talking about Mother's Day and Mother Earth and how we can mother the nature around Around us, But full disclosure, Susie Gilbert and I took a little nature walk recently, and that's where I got an education about how blurry the line is and how tricky this world is between doing good and doing harm. While we were on our nature walk, Susie, you introduced me to a site you're familiar with along this trail nearby where you live. Claude the, the fox came out of the woods and just along our little nature path and you're you're familiar with this fox so tell claude's story actually the sighting yesterday with you astounded me just as much as it did you because we were walking along and a fox just came out of the brush and started trotting toward us as if you know nothing was wrong and he was very healthy looking and you know luckily I'm a rehabber, so uh, and I also know this fox because he had a really bad case of mange about, I don't know, six or eight months ago. And um, it was winter, and mange makes the hair fall out. And so he's half naked, and it's really cold out. Because I'm a rehabber, I could get the special type of medicine, which is one dose. And if you can get the pill into the fox, you can cure the mange with one dose, but you can't just be a regular person and get this. You have to be either a veterinarian or a rehabilitator. So we managed to, because this fox was hanging around where we live, this group of neighbors, we were able to get the medicine into the fox. On one hand, it was good because he felt comfortable enough to eat something that was thrown to him and it helped his mange. But on the other side, it wasn't good because foxes are not supposed to be 
that comfortable with humans. And people around had been feeding him because he looked so sick, which, you know, it seems like a good thing to do. But if a fox gets used to people, that can be really bad for the fox. You don't want wildlife feeling comfortable around humans. It's not good for anyone. Tell me why. People can react. People who don't know wildlife can react badly when they see, like, you know, if if I had not been a rehabber, I would see this fox trotting toward me, and having never seen a fox in the wild, I would probably be scared that there was something wrong with him. We're not supposed to be seeing a fox in the middle of the day. No. Walking along a nature trail where people are, they've got toddlers and dogs on leashes and they're stopping to have a picnic and there's all this activity going on. And there's the fox walking right alongside of us. Yeah, walking along. And somebody's going to get scared or someone's dog is going to go after the fox. You know, there's just so many different scenarios that can go wrong, and it's not going to end well for anyone. So, And my reaction was, I couldn't tell that the fox looked well or unwell. I thought he looked yeah. thirsty because his mouth was open a little bit. And I'm like, maybe he's thirsty. And then you reminded me we were very near the river, and I didn't have to worry about that. Uh, but I didn't know how to interpret right. his 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 presentation, how he looked. And I was really afraid. I was with you, so I had no fear about that. But I was afraid for the other people and their kids and their dogs. And I was afraid for the fox. I was afraid for all the things. So me, because I can fix anything, I'm like, well, we should put up a sign and we should tell people (laughs) not to feed the fox. And we should tell people. And then you told me doing that, you know, would call more attention to the fox. And then more people would come out to see the fox and then throw treats to the fox. And, you know, it's just a really tricky thing knowing when to get involved and knowing when to stay away so a long time ago I I was hiking with someone and I dropped an orange peel as I was having my snack and that someone said to me don't ever do that you think it's going to biodegrade and you're giving back to nature but you're really introducing a food source to the animals in this environment that they're not used to and it might not settle well with them. So ever since then, I've never left a morsel out for animals unless it was, you know, something like a bird feeder or a squirrel feeder or something like that. Talk to people about that. It's springtime and our our homes, our yards and our nature trails are teeming with wildlife. What are the do's and don'ts? How can we best cooperate with nature? In the spring, there's a lot of natural food out. So if you have had a bird feeder or a squirrel feeder or whatever out all winter, you don't want to cut it off completely because they are depending on you for their food source. But there's there's a lot of food out there. There's berries. There's, you know, grasses. The flowers are coming up. And you can put out hummingbird feeders. Hummingbirds will be coming by. Migrants will be coming up from the south and passing through where we are. So they can, they can use a handout. But if you're talking about mammals, if you're talking about like feeding foxes or feeding coyotes or some, you know, just don't do that. It's never, never a good idea. One really good thing you can do for the wildlife is keep your cats inside. That's a huge one because so many factors are making bird populations crash over development and windows and, I mean, you name it. But cats are among the biggest factor. There are babies out now, or there will be soon, and they have no defense. 
against uh, free roaming cats. So. Right, right. I understand that. I do. But but what about feral cats out in the wild? I mean, that's part of nature too, right? No, actually, that's not part of nature at all. Feral cats, they're domestic cats that have just been tossed out. They are a domestic animal, and they're not part of the ecosystem. Feral cats, the best thing to do is trap them and, you know, take them, find a place to take them and rehome them. Okay, I got it. I got it. Because it's not that unusual to know that there's a gather, I don't, what do you call a pile of cats? What do you call (laughs) (laughs) A herd of cats. A herd of cats. It's not unusual (laughs) for people to say, oh yeah, over there behind the pizza place, there's always, you know, uh, stray cats, right? Yeah. Feral cats. That's not unusual, but really it should be because you don't say, oh, there's a pack of stray dogs. Right. Exactly. Domesticated animals should be inside and we shouldn't, we should do what we can to cut down on the feral cat population. Yes, absolutely. If you go on American Bird Conservancy website, abc.org, they have a whole lot of information about keeping cats inside. It's so much safer for the cats. I think the statistics are an average indoor cat can live to 20, 22 years old, sometime older, and the normal lifespan for an outdoor cat or a feral cat is like four years. Yeah, because there's a lot of danger out there for them. And they also create danger if they're taking down a bird every now and then. Yeah, and a lot of these, they get to be expert hunters and they take them down. There's no danger in cat populations crashing, but I mean, we have bird species that will become extinct if something's not done, that have crashed by like 90% in the last five or 10 years. Well, the environment is seeing all kinds of changes. Now, what are you seeing in your work? Are you still getting phone calls to rescue uh, creatures? I do. Once your number is out there, people never forget you (laughs) because, unfortunately, there are just not enough rehabbers. I don't have my clinic anymore. I moved. I do more writing about birds than I do actual work with them, which is, you know, I miss them. But I do go on rescues every once in a while. I mean, people call me and say there's a bird down and, and he needs rescuing. So I'll go get him and I can stabilize him and then get him to a rehabber that has facilities. Very good. Susie Gilbert is our guest. She is the author of the children's book Hawk Hill and the memoir Fly Away and her most recent novel, Unflappable, which is quite the road trip uh, excursion book. And you were about to go on a book tour back in 2020 when this book came out, Susie. Then what happened? (laughs) Yeah, well, my book came out two weeks after the entire country shut down for COVID. I was going to be on a book tour for about a year. I was just going to go around, go around the country, go to all my rehabber friends, just like in the book. Rehabbers are all connected through the internet. So I was just going to circle the country and sell books. And then suddenly no one could go anywhere. So I had to go online and develop all these computer skills that I did not have before. (laughs) That couldn't have felt good, though. That, I mean, every Everybody went through so many things during COVID, but to expect to spend the year on the road and then to spend the year in the house, that had to be kind of a setback, yeah? Not what I had in mind. Definitely not. (laughs) Definitely not. Lots of people had a rough time during COVID and wildlife centers, too, because a lot of wildlife centers, they make money 
by giving tours, and people couldn't come. So, you know, revenue went down. That's another thing about rehabbing is there is no government money. We don't get paid for this. If any any money that we spend has to either we have to pay for it ourselves or else raise it through fundraising. Yeah. It is a labor of love then, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely is. And the hours are killer. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine. So uh, tell people where they can find out more information if they perhaps wanted to become an, a wildlife rehabilitator. If we're in New York, New York State Wildlife Rehabilitation Council. If you just Google, I think the easiest way to do it is Google New York Wildlife Rehabilitator. And eventually you will get to a site where they will show you the steps you need to take. And the other thing, the other piece of information I need, to, I need to give you is if anyone, if you find an injured animal and you don't know who to call, there is a great site. It's called Animal Help Now. So it's ahnow.org. It's a database. And so you put in the address of the injured animal and up will come all the names and numbers of people who are around who are rehabbers and will help the animal. It works anywhere in the country, anywhere. ahnow.org, fantastic. Are you living with any animals at the present moment? Not at the present moment, but I will in the future. (laughs) And what else does the future hold for Susie Gilbert? What's next? I am working on a book right now about two bird rehabilitators who live in Delhi, India. These are friends. I've known them for 10 years, and they run the only place for injured birds of prey in all of Delhi, which is now a city of about 30 million. It's crazy. There was just a documentary about them called All That Breathes, and it won, last year it won Sundance, it won Khan, and it was a finalist in uh, this year's Academy Awards. It was just this. That breeze. And they're your friends? Yeah. I'm on their board. (laughs) Yeah. It was like this little underdog movie that nobody expected to go as far as it did. And it just took off like a rocket. You know, it's very beautiful and lyrical, but there's a whole untold story about what these two brothers have accomplished. And that's the next book I'm going to write. And we look forward to that, Susie Gilbert. Find her at S-U-Z-I-E Gilbert.com. And now we know what we need to do straight away. First, watch All That Breathes, the documentary about those brothers, Nadim and Saud. And remember not to feed wildlife. As tempting as it may be, it's not the best thing we can do for our furry friends. And read Susie's latest book, a novel, a fun beach read called Unflappable. And also, if you would, send love to this great big family of people and creatures sharing the planet together. That would be a gift to Mother Nature and Mother Earth. Hi, it's Casey. Looking forward to seeing you soon. You know you can always find me at caseysplace.com. Monday night, we have a Zoom. Join us, 6 o'clock. Get the link at caseysplace.com. And our thought for the day comes again from the song Colors of the Wind. The rainstorm and the river are my brothers. The heron and the otter are my friends. And we are all connected to each other in a circle, in a hoop that never ends. Shine on.
You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on. Shine On.